0: okay good morning everyone it's really wonderful to be with you Jamie thank you and uh, thank the Lord for the worship team that was wonderful just to be in the Lord's presence Um, I always say this though I know times have changed but if you have your Bibles with you (laughs) you can open up to Romans chapter 13 or your devices, or I actually put together a PowerPoint, which your, uh, which your tech team converted to be functional this morning. So I thank the Lord for that. But I want to begin um, this morning by reading from Romans 13, verses 11 and 12. So the Apostle Paul writes, beside this you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed the night is far gone the day is at hand so then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light father again we thank you for the privilege of being able to gather together this morning in your name we thank you for your word, and we pray for the anointing of your Holy Spirit. Lord, help me to communicate clearly, and I pray, Lord God, that you would grant to each of us, Lord, by the Spirit, Lord, wisdom and revelation, to know you better. Father, I pray for the good and noble hearts that receive your word and bear fruit to the glory of God. And Lord, I pray that your presence among us would even now give us ears to hear all that the Spirit is saying. Amen. So, chapter 13, the final chapters of Paul's letter to the Romans. The Apostle Paul is focusing now, having just presented a beautiful presentation of the Gospel on its transforming power in the lives of those whom God has called to Himself. And If you remember, Paul begins this letter acknowledging that he is one to whom God has called and set apart for the gospel. He says, I'm not ashamed of this gospel. I am eager to proclaim the gospel to you who are in Rome. For the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And it's the good news that God has shown a way for those who were dead in their sins, those who were without hope and without God, to now be made righteous. And that's the glory of the Gospel, the righteousness of God that has been made known through faith in Jesus Christ. And so the glories of this great salvation are unfolded throughout this letter, that those who are in Christ Jesus those who receive this finished work of Jesus, His death, His resurrection, by faith, are now set free. They've died with Christ in His death, and they have been raised to newness of life through His resurrection by the Spirit. And everyone who embraces this Gospel, everyone who is born again by the Spirit of God, is called to a totally new way of life. And that's really... what the Apostle focuses on as he comes to the end of this letter. The outworking of what it means to be a people who have now been brought into relationship with God and filled with His Holy Spirit. The attitudes and the behaviors that should mark us as the people of God. And this final section of which Romans 13 is a part begins in Romans 12 with a passage uh, many of you may be familiar with. I remember as a young believer... This is one of the first passages that I uh, memorized. I appeal to you by the mercies of God, or in view of God's mercies is another way it's presented, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And here there's a call that in light of all that christ has done there's kind of a backward looking we're considering that which was accomplished in the past through jesus christ through his perfect life through his death on the cross through his resurrection and the fact that we are now by the grace of god the recipients of all that he secured for us this great salvation let us live lives worthy of the lord let us not be conformed let us not be a reduced as it were to the world's likeness. But let us experience the transforming power of Jesus Christ in our lives. And let that be increasingly so through the Word of God, through the Spirit of God. And it's by the mercies of God. Again, because of all that He has done for you. is the way the New Living Translation translates that verse. And so in Romans 12, 1 and 2, there's a the call that we're to live our life today in light of of what occurred in the past. But in Romans 13, which is our text, the perspective shifts. Now there's a call to live our lives in light of the future. And that's what we see in Romans 13. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand, so let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. And so there's this reality. We're told in Colossians, for example, that God the Father has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son. That's a reality. The life that we have in Christ is the life of the kingdom. The outpoured spirit is a kingdom reality. And yet we still await our full and final salvation. The day that's mentioned here is the day of Christ's return. The day when we will, as believers, behold Him, be transformed, receive the fullness of our salvation. And the day that will be, and for us, the day of great rejoicing. But it will also be For those outside of Christ, the day of judgment. And that really is a theme that we see throughout the Bible. It would not be accurate to present the Bible as simply a message of salvation. It is always a message of salvation and judgment. The flood that saved Noah and his family brought judgment to the world. And there is this reality. And and we're told that we need to know the time. Now, we know that throughout church history there have been those who've tried to predict when the Lord's going to return. Um, I remember, you know, having been saved about six or seven years, and a book began to circulate 88 reasons why Jesus is coming back in 88. And you always wonder, why do you write those books? I mean, Jesus has made it so clear. No one knows the day or hour. And uh, actually, you can get that book really cheap right now. <laughs> but you know, that wasn't the first time there were projections. And there's been others. I remember years ago driving down 8540, and some guy had put a sign saying it was going to be a certain day. And uh, you know, the point is though we do not know the time, we can agree it is nearer now than when we first believed. I came to Christ in 1979, that was 42 years ago, and at that time, the buzz was the next event on the prophetic calendar was going to be the rapture, and uh, this was even before I knew theology, Jamie. Um, In fact, I was getting my theology from these little comic books called Chick Tracks, and uh, I love Chick Tracks, I wasn't much of a reader, didn't really take school that seriously before I came to the Lord, but Chick Tracks were just feeding me. I just knew the the rapture's coming and I remember I was in the army at the time and each morning I'd be in formation just praying that the lieutenant who led me to the Lord would show up because when I saw him I knew, oh good, it didn't happen last night and I was left behind because, you know, of some reason. So, um, you know, it's a serious thing and here we're told the day is at hand. Besides this, you know the time. So again, we don't know the the exact day or hour of Christ's return. We know He will return. And that's the reality that, you know, there are some cultures where the reality of final judgment is very much on the minds of people all the time. We live in a culture where I wonder if it's on anyone's mind ever. This present age will end. And we as Christians know that. And we're being told in God's word to live our lives in light of that reality. He goes on, the night is far gone. The day is at hand. And in light of this, there's a summons that the Apostle Paul gives to his readers and the Holy Spirit gives to us today. And that is to wake from sleep. And that really is what I want to address this morning. This idea of of being awake and we see it throughout the New Testament the command to wake from sleep is found repeatedly and so again I'd like to consider that this morning what what exactly does that mean you know I can say hey let's wake from sleep and we're all like yeah great what exactly does that mean and in scripture we know there are times when it's you know literally waking up you know when Luke describes the transfiguration the three that accompanied Jesus to the Mount of Transfiguration fell asleep and they awoke. And when they awoke, they saw the glory of the Lord, they saw Moses, they saw Elijah. So there's times, and, and there are very few, where it means just literally waking up from you know, natural sleep to natural wakefulness. When Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica, he uses the term awake and asleep Describing those who are still alive, and those who, though they believe in Christ, are physically dead. So he talks. He he mentions how you know that the Lord will come, and uh, you know he's obtained salvation, and so he died for us. That whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. So that's a great promise. Um, The Lord Jesus. It's recorded in John eleven when he is informed that uh, Lazarus is sick, he says, Lazarus is sleeping, and I go to wake him. And his disciples say, oh, that's really good he's sleeping. That means he's going to get better. And, And what he tells them is, no, what I'm saying is that he has died. Okay, so there's this. But the vast majority, and these are just a few accounts, but looking at everything the New Testament says about this, the primary call is a call to spiritual alertness that's what waking up means okay so having been born again we know from ephesians 5 that one way that reality is described by the apostle paul is wake up O sleeper rise from the dead and every one of us here in this room who has placed our faith in jesus christ are those who have been awakened by god from sleep and now we are living in the life of christ And we are repeatedly reminded, then, to stay awake, to keep awake. And um, we are, though, prone to wander. If we are not vigilant, if we're not watchful, if we're not attentive, we can become careless, we can become distracted, we can become presumptuous or even apathetic. And the result, when we begin to drift, is that we lose that passion for the Lord. And so we go from a place of, 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 of enjoying the Lord's presence and, and just the excitement of, of being his son or daughter to where we drift into a place of spiritual slumber or lethargy. And when this happens, the Spirit of God graciously comes. And the call is, wake up. And so when you see this throughout the Gospels, the epistles, even the book of Revelation, there's this repeated exhortation wake from sleep wake up stay awake awake be watchful be alert stay alert and uh and i want this morning even to include the call to stand as it's presented to us in ephesians 6 because the picture there is purely uh, a military context it's about the spiritual armor that we have and the warfare that we're engaged in and so the call to stand is not you know, just happen happening to be upright with your hands in your pockets, but stand in that military sense of, of awakening and watchful and alert. It's a posture. You're ready. In the military, when someone's like stand, it, it, it's the, the the attack could come at any time. You're you're mindful of the enemy. You're listening for the for the commander's command, and so it's very important that we hear it that way. So. Why these repeated calls? There is a way to approach Scripture. Brian Chapel, in his book, Christ-Centered Preaching, talks about something called the fallen condition focus. And what he means by that is that Scripture is addressing us because it recognizes that though through faith in Jesus Christ the penalty of sin has been fully paid for, and the dominion of sin has been broken, there still is the reality of indwelling sin in every believer. And that is why we are called to fight the good fight of faith. And so these calls to awake mean there will be in us a propensity to drift to sleep. And that's why we have these calls. So what does it mean to be awake? What What are the particular attitudes and behaviors that we are called to embrace? that communicate that we are, in fact, Christians who are awake. I believe the Scriptures give us insight into this. And and this morning I want to highlight six. And then after I do that, I want to just quickly answer the questions, why must we stay awake as Christians, and how is that accomplished? And my hope is that this will be an encouragement to all of us this morning. So, again, having read this morning's text, the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. So what does that involve? Let's begin with this. To be awake, first of all, is to know and understand the reality of Jesus Christ's return and to live our lives in the light of that reality. I want to read from Mark 13. And again, listen for this call. This is Jesus speaking. Be on guard. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. And so again, this is the same context that we see in Romans 13. Salvation is nearer now than we first believe. The day is at hand. The days are coming again when this present life will end. And Jesus repeatedly warns his disciples not to be sleeping, but to be ready for that day. The great reformer, Martin Luther, wrote, there are two days on my calendar, this day and that day. And what he means is, right now, I am living this day seeking to honor the Lord, living a life worthy of God, seeking to please Him, and I'm living for that day. You know, I think it's probably a good exercise for us. We want on that day to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. So I think we can enter each day asking the Lord, Lord, there's gonna come a time when we look back on this day. And when we look back on this day, I want to hear, well done. So how do I live today in light of that day? So that that today, the day that for me is yet future, but will one day be past, how can I live a life that honors you? And that's what Luther is discussing here. What we see is because we do not know the day and hour, what we're called to is a constant alertness, a constant readiness. There's a single-minded focus that is presented here by the Lord. And he mentions the four watches of the night, evening, midnight, when the rooster crows, in the morning. You know, as I've traveled overseas, done missions work, what I realize is, Roosters don't crow at sunrise. They seem to be crowing all through the night. At least where I was staying, uh, that seemed to be uh, the reality. In Luke 12, Jesus talks about the second or third watch of the night. What he's saying is we need to be watching even in nighttime, which is really the most difficult time to watch. Um, You know, in the army, one of the things I disliked was guard duty, 24-hour guard duty. And there were those lonely night hours where you're just sitting at a desk i mean there weren't such things as videos or iphones or anything like that you're you're at a desk there's a phone some of you may may not know that there were these things called phones and they had uh you know a receiver and and all of that and and the little dials and and you're just there and you know you're you, at at some point the the officer in charge is going to make sure all the guards are awake. And so you're just trying to stay awake. And, and I remember it, that, that 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock, it was terrible. I'd already been at this desk since like 7 a.m. And I remember one time I was there and, and um, I heard this sound. And it was like this dreamy sound. And it took me a while to say, I, I know that sound from somewhere and, uh, and and you know i was having these various thoughts and you know and and then i suddenly realized that's the sound of a telephone ringing and and it took me a while to say yeah you know and you know and i'm i'm, I'm sleeping and then i realized oh, the telephone's ringing oh no i, I fell asleep and, and I go to grab it and it kind of falls off the rocker and drops onto the floor. And I think it was like, hello, hello. It's like, are you sleeping? Oh, no, sir. No, you know, after it had rung like 36 times. That's, Jesus is saying, don't be like that. Okay? And we need to recognize that can happen, right? As we wait. Matthew 24, stay awake. For you do not know on what day your Lord is coming But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. As a Christian disciple, we're never off duty. So what does that mean for those of us who follow the Lord? Does that mean we can never let our guard down, we can never take vacations, we can never relax? No, it means that we need to live our life in light of his return. And we need, by the grace of God, to live faithfully, and ready at all times there's some additional insights i'd like to squeeze in here luke 12 verse 35 stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake blessed are those servants then reading on picking up again at 42 who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household and give them their portion of food at its proper time blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes truly i say to you he will set himself over all his possessions But if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and in an hour he does not know. So the insight that I'd like to add here is that in this time of waiting for the Lord's return, it's very important how we treat people, especially those who we have responsibility over. This is also the broader context that we see in Romans 13, it, The verse begins beside this. And, and you, okay, so what's beside this? This is some type of connection for Paul and what's preceded. What immediately precedes 8 through 10 is the command to love our neighbor as ourself. But I really think, and, and I, I took some time to look at this, just to make sure that what I'm sharing is accurate, I believe that besides this covers everything that Paul has said from Romans 12.1 to Romans 13.11. And in, in those passages, in those 31 verses, there are 35 imperatives that we are called to embrace. Okay, You know what an imperative is, like a command or an exhortation, right? And so what he's saying is, there's a life that we are to live, and many of those are how we treat others, Right? So even the way we treat others not only our attitude toward alertness to the lord but how we treat others should be informed by the reality that christ is returning and we will give an account on that day so the call to constant readiness again be dressed ready for action there were times when i went through military training where i slept in my clothes because i knew i had to wake up and be right at it right i don't think i you know when i went through recondo school i don't think i undressed for 18 days because you just never know when it's time to get up right you you know i can't be taking off my pajamas and you know putting my gear back on you know i think i even kept my boots on that entire time i just made sure not to put them in my sleeping bag right but but that's the idea when you're when you're dressed you're ready okay and it talks about the lamps burning again Blessed are those servants that he finds awake when he comes. So that's the first. It's to know and understand the reality of Jesus' return and to live our lives in light of that reality. There is so much Jesus teaches on this, so much the New Testament exhorts toward this. It is very important. It is a key element of staying awake. Number two, to be awake is to pursue a life of holiness and godliness. In his second letter, the Apostle Peter describes the world's attitude toward the Lord's return. And again, there's a connection here. This is interesting because Peter writes these words, you know, 2,000 years ago. And what he says is, scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. And they will say, where is this promise of his coming? And then he responds in verse uh, chapter 3, verses 10 through 16, Therefore, be diligent to be found in him without spot or blemish and at peace. So again, the idea is if we get caught up in this world and this world consumes us and distracts us, Peter's reminding us this world is going to end. And in fact, this present heaven and earth will be burned with fire and there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And let that reality, which no one ever thinks of, inform how you live your life. John, when he writes his first letter, communicates the same reality when he says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. So there is a reality that Christ is in us, but there is coming a day when we will see him, and when we see him, we will be perfectly transformed into his likeness. We will experience the fullness of our salvation of which we now partake of the first fruits by the Spirit. But he says this, But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself as He is pure. John is saying, when we consider that day, when the Lord returns, that reality should motivate us to a life of holiness a life of purity. And again, this connection between our confidence in the Lord's return and its effect upon the way we live today is also presented in 1 Thessalonians 5. Let me just read. And it's interesting, you know, when you read Paul's letter to the Thessalonicans, we know from the book of Acts he was only there for about three weeks. And yet in that three-week period, it's clear that one of the primary messages he communicated with this brand new church is the reality of Christ's second coming. He's constantly referring them. Remember, I said this when we were together. So he writes, For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. See, there's that theme, right? But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day we are not of the night or of the darkness so then let us not sleep as others do but let us keep awake and be sober for those who sleep sleep at night and those who get drunk are drunk at night but since we belong to the day let us be sober so again we have these terms in darkness of the night or of darkness being drunk the point is These are ungodly attitudes that mark this current fallen world that is outside Christ. This is not behavior or attitudes we as the church are to engage in. They shouldn't be seen in us. We are children of light. We are children of the day, we're told. And we have been awakened to live holy lives. And that connection is seen even more clearly when we go to Ephesians 5. Listen to what the Apostle Paul writes to the church there. For at one time you were darkness, not just in darkness, we were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of life is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the fruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them, for it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So again, the reality that we have been... Born again by the Spirit of God, the miracle of regeneration, the light has shone upon us. We have been awakened by the Lord. And now, as those who are awake, we are the children of light, and we are to live our lives to the glory of God. The light of Christ has, sh- has shone upon us, and we are to pursue a life that is marked by light, by that which is um, good and right and true, a life of holiness and godliness. So, being awake is to pursue such a life. I next want to highlight, that's the positive way of saying it, I want to communicate the negative. To be awake is to cast off the works of darkness. Okay? And we see that again in our primary text of Romans 13. The hour has come for you to awake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand, so then let us cast off the works of darkness. So the command here in verse 11 to wake from sleep means avoid being conformed to this present age. Don't allow this age, its attitudes, its opinions, its views conform you to itself. We need to be those whose worldview, whose life is being informed by the Word of God. And empowered by the Holy Spirit. That we may live as children of light. And not, you know, that's not just this monastic lifestyle, but, but we are actually light that others can see. That exposes darkness. So, we're not to be in the darkness or bound by the darkness. We're to be free from that and actually expose that. That's part of our witness to the Lord. And again, this is highlighted... In Ephesians 5, this is that awaking, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but expose them. What are those unfruitful works of darkness? Well, other terms are used in Galatians 5, the works of the flesh, the evil passions and desires of our sinful nature that are still very much at war within us. That's how Peter describes it. He says it's really time to put away the passions of our former ignorance. There was a way we lived. There's a way we acted. There's a way we behaved and spoke. But that was informed by the world. And it's time to put these things off. In fact, that's what we see in both Colossians and Ephesians when the Apostle Paul addresses those churches. He said, Listen, there are things you are to put off. And there's a renewing that's taking place in your mind through the Word of God. And there are things you are to put on. So these unfruitful works of darkness, like in Colossians 3. He lists these, and we see these lists, right? What are sometimes called the sin lists that are presented to us in the New Testament. Sexual immorality, impurity, evil passion, evil desire, covetousness, okay? Which is a type of idolatry. If you love money, Jesus said money's your God. And you can't have two. So who's the master? The Lord or your bank account? He goes on. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth, lying. These are the works that are being highlighted here. So we're called to put those things aside. We're to cast off the works of darkness. That's a sign of those who are awake. The author of Hebrews uses a different terminology. He says, listen, do not grow weary. Same idea, right? Wake up. And lay aside every weight and every hindrance and the and the sin that clings so closely and so easily entangles. The analogy he uses is we are called to run a race and we are successful to the degree that we free ourselves from those entanglements and focus our attention on the Lord Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul says, Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor, as is right. And do not go on sinning. For some have no knowledge of God. And I say this to your shame. He's speaking to the church. We should always be growing in our knowledge of the Lord. Increasing in our understanding. That should be our prayer. Lord, I want to increase in the knowledge of God that I might live a life worthy of the Lord, being fully pleasing And and the way that comes is as we give ourselves to God's Word, as we ask for the empowering of His Holy Spirit to live a life worthy of the Gospel. But here it says, do not be deceived. There's almost the concept here, do do not allow yourselves to be deceived. We're told in in his last letter to Timothy, the Apostle Paul says, listen, a time is coming when people will, will actually seek out that they could listen to those people who teach according to their own passions and desires. This ear-tickling doctrine. It's interesting. i would never noticed the, the word, they will accumulate for themselves. It's like, I wonder what other English words are used in various English translations. What's amazing is, almost everyone that I check uses accumulate. And we're living in a day where it's easy to accumulate teachers, right? What podcast are you listening to? Who are you enthralled by on, you know, on the world wide web and, and why? And so that causes them to turn away from listening to the truth. So do not be deceived. Do you not know? This is also uh, in that same context in 1 Corinthians 5 that a little leaven leavens the whole lump. So what are we allowing into our soul? What are we allowing? Who, who do we keep company with? And how does that affect our witness? These are all part of that, that third reality of casting off the works of darkness in order to respond to the call, be awake. To be awake is to strengthen what remains and is about to die. And here I'm quoting directly from the exalted Jesus who appears and speaks to seven churches. But his word to those historic churches is a word to all the churches throughout redemptive history. Revelation 3. I know your works. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you do not wake up, I will come like a thief. And you will not know at what hour I will come against you. So there's a strong warning there. There's a historical note. This is a word given to the church in the city of Sardis. And the call to wake up would be especially, um, what, what would you say, poignant. Because twice in that city's history, in the 500 BCs and in the 200 BCs, the city was overrun and sacked because the watchmen on the walls fell asleep. They felt that the walls and their location on the cliffs made them impregnable. So the call to wake up has some historical link here. And what Jesus is saying, this church is clearly asleep. And it's, it's, the fact that it's asleep accounts for its self-deception. It believes it's alive, but it's dead. I mean, that's really being deceived, okay? but they must wake up. They must strengthen what remains and is about to die. I've not found your works complete. There's a treasure that had been entrusted to this church, the treasure of the gospel, which we saw earlier. It's the power of God for the salvation for all who believe. And this church was failing to honor and protect that treasure that had been entrusted to them. G.K. Beale, who's considered probably one of the best Commentators on the book of Revelation says that, that it appears they had become unresponsive to the demands of their faith. The culture was just pressing in around them and, and for some reason their witness had been stifled. They had, they had begun with faithful service but something impeded their progress and they were no longer witnessing to the truth of the gospel. They had drifted from a spiritual vitality. And so the admonition to wake up is one to remember the gospel the gospel that saved you the gospel that has been entrusted to you to live your life in accordance with it do not allow, allow yourself to become dull or or sluggish you know we have we have been given a treasure every one of you who knows the lord you've heard things you've received things and those things are to be shared with others. That which you've heard, you're to proclaim to others. That which you've received, you're to invest in the lives of others. That's what we see in the life of Paul. For I receive from the Lord what I also delivered to you. Or when he uh, writes to the church in Thessalonica, you receive the word of God which you heard from us, and you received it as what it really is, the very word of God. And, and he writes to Timothy at the end of his life. Timothy, remember, that which you heard entrust to others, who themselves will invest it in others. So that's, I think, what the call is here, that we are, we are faithful. We need to strengthen that reality in all of our lives. I think part of, of what this church is being, being called to is remember that. Remember that you have been given the gospel. And, and, and for any of us to, to drift from our pure devotion to the Lord, we're not the only ones who suffer. All those who God desires to touch through our lives also suffer loss too. That's why it's so important that we stay awake, not just for ourselves, but for those that we have been called to proclaim this gospel to. And this idea of Jesus coming as a thief and the hour I come against you, you know, those are very strong words. Seven churches are addressed. Two are commended. There aren't even rebukes given to them. Two are strongly rebuked. Jesus makes it very clear there either needs to be repentance or I am removing my presence from this church. And then there's three that are, you know. So basically, five out of seven are kind of getting a hard word. And, and I think what we need to hear in that is we need to listen to both his commendations and his corrections that we might be a church that fully honors him. I'm going to just go ahead and, and jump to the next. To be awake is to be... Mindful of the spiritual battle in which we are engaged. Uh, This is so important. Again, Romans 13. It's when we wake from sleep, what do we do? We're immediately called to put on the armor of light. Okay? Um, We see in 1 Thessalonians 5. So let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith, and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Those those key Christian attributes, faith, hope, and love, right? Very important. And then Peter says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Again, same idea, be awake. You can't be watchful if you're not awake. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in your faith. So the point here is, when you are awake, you get dressed for battle, and you realize you're in a battle. And that is something we all need to hear. We're to put on the armor of light. It's interesting that the, the, the armor that is mentioned in 1 Thessalonians is the breastplate of faith and love and the helmet, the hope of salvation, protecting heart and mind. Now, of course, in Ephesians 6, the armor is more fully presented. But the idea is that we need to be um, aware that we are in a battle. And if we're asleep, we're going to lose that battle. We're going to be ensnared. So that's really the final point. To be awake is to stand, keeping alert with all perseverance. And the passage is Ephesians 6. And again, I'm taking to stand here, to be the same concept as be awake. Because again, this isn't just a casual, well, you know, I'm not sitting down. You've got your hands in your pockets whistling a tune. No, this is the the military context means it is a waking, watchful posture. So again, listen to how often it's repeated. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. you must keep alert. You must be armed. So, I'll review all of those at the end, but let's just jump to having hopefully put some handles on this idea. Okay? So, if I got up here and said, okay, everybody, wake up, be awake. And you leave saying, okay, what exactly does that mean? Hopefully, now you've got six handles by which you can evaluate how awake am I? And I can tell you the Lord's desire. And his call is wake up. You know, some of you were with us um, when we had Terry Virgo at Living Way on Saturday, July 9th. And at the end, I don't know if you remember, one of our prophetic men stood up and he said, you know, I feel like the Lord's call is to awake. But here's here's the call. Um, He's coming. And he's kind of lying down next to you. And he's putting his hand on you and saying, my son, my daughter, wake up. You know, sometimes, I mean, there's probably, you know, the revelation awake may be more like what we think of awake where the drill sergeant comes into the barracks, kicks the trash can down the hallway, flits on the light, get out of bed, you know. I don't want you to hear the awake like, come on, get your act together. It is the appeal of the Lord. Awake. Awake for your own spiritual safety in order that I can reveal myself to you, awake so that that all that I have called you to, you can enter into in the fullness to which I've called you. There's There's a needy world all around you. And we need to hear this. So why the Christian must remain awake? Well, number one, the mission that's entrusted to us is too important. We have been entrusted with the message of proclaiming the gospel to every nation. We have been called to be fishers of men. We have been given everything we need in order to fulfill that call. It is too important, too demanding to be done in a half sleeping or half hearted manner. So we need to wake up. Number two, we must be awake because the path we're called to walk is narrow. We need to be alert because you can easily fall off one side or the other. You know, when Christian goes through the the valley of the shadow of death, right? I don't know if you've ever seen some of the illustrations. It's this little narrow path. You know, one wrong footstep, and he falls off this side or falls off that side. Very, very good picture. Jesus reminds us. The way is narrow. It's fraught with many hazards. It's the narrow gate. There's a wide gate. There's a way that's easy, but it leads to destruction. It's not the path we're on by the grace of God. Third, any duty we perform for the cause of Christ takes us very near the enemy's quarters. I'm quoting from a Puritan here who wrote a book focused on just that passage we read in Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 18. And like a good Puritan, it's a three volume work, right? <laughs> the most exhaustive study. And I would highly recommend it to you. It's called A Christian in Complete Armor. John Newton said, with the exception of the Bible, it is the most powerful book and the one I would choose above all others. I think that's saying something. And, uh, you know, you can still get it and read it, and it's amazing. And I would recommend it. But if you think going on that you will pass by undetected, if you're really committed to advancing the God's, king, God's kingdom, know that as soon as you approach the enemy, the alarm's been sound and he's going to come out immediately. And it's necessary that we remain awake. If we're serious about the task entrusted to us, we must be a people awake. By staying awake, we frustrate Satan's intentions. Watch and pray, Jesus says, that you will not fall into temptation. In fact, one of the prayers we should pray every day, Lord, deliver me from evil. Keep me from temptation. By remaining awake, you learn the dangers of sleeping. You know, a sleeping man, you know, misses a lot. When someone's asleep, they don't know what's happening around them. And sometimes they're unaware what's happening to themselves. You know, I've, I once had some work done where they put me out with anesthesia and I was so determined. It's like, okay. And I remember I was laying there and, you know, I had the IV going and the anesthesis comes and I'm looking at the clock. It's four minutes after 10 and I see her pump the drug in and the next thing I know, I'm in a completely different room and it's 10.50 and it's like, what on earth happened? In that time period, right? I was asleep. I did not know what was happening to me. I did not know what's happening around me. So, if you're awake, you can see. In fact, you can actually see what's happening in the lives of professing Christians who are asleep. And it serves as a, as a warning, right? And as unbelievers as well. So do not sleep as others do, but keep awake and be sober. Again, 1 Thessalonians 5, 6. And how do we stay awake? Just to finish up. Well, we must stay awake constantly. Okay? Luke 21, 36. But stay awake at all times. And so we we need the empowering of the Holy Spirit. We stay awake prayerfully. Again, but stay awake at all times praying. Spurgeon says, Let the eye of faith be constantly looking upon Him. Let your hearts be full of Him and let your lips speak his word. We're to remain alert over our entire being, our words, our thoughts, our attitudes, our actions. We're to be awake wisely. We should know enough about ourselves to be careful to watch those areas where we know we are weak. And if we're not sure what those areas are, I'm sure there are people in our lives who can tell us, because they often see what's blind to us. And then, finally, we're awake together. Hebrews 10, let us consider how we may stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is a warning against isolation. Christians who isolate themselves and walk alone are very apt to grow spiritually weary and sleepy. And uh, John Bunyan presents this so beautifully in The Pilgrim's Progress. If you've read that, you know that as Christian and hopeful, draw near to the celestial city, they're with the shepherds, and they're moving on, and the shepherds say, beware of the enchanted ground. And so as they travel, they say to themselves, hey, to prevent drowsiness as we go through this place, let us fall into a good discussion. And it's actually one of the most powerful sections of the book i mean it brings tears to my eyes as hopeful begins to share how he came to faith in christ it's so beautiful but before they enter into this conversation christian says i want to sing you a song and this is the song that he sang and i'll end with this when saints do sleepy grow let them come hither and hear how these two pilgrims talk together yea let them learn of them in any wise thus to keep open their drowsy, slumbering eyes. Saints' fellowship, if it be managed well, keeps them awake, and that in spite of hell. So, just to summarize, to be awake is to know and understand the reality of Jesus Christ's return and to live our lives in the light of that reality. To be awake is to pursue a life of holiness and godliness as children of light bearing fruit that is good, right, and true, and exposing darkness. To be awake is to cast off the works of darkness. To be awake is to strengthen that which remains and is about to die. To be awake is to be mindful of the spiritual battle to which we are engaged, and to be awake is to stand, keeping alert with all perseverance. So let me just finish with this scripture again. Besides this, you know, the time, that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. And again, Matthew 13, 37, the words of Jesus, What I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love for us, for calling us to yourself. And Lord, for the great awakening, Lord, that we've all experienced from death to life, from darkness to light, that we might be those who proclaim your excellencies, O Lord. We thank you for the infilling of your Holy Spirit. And Lord, I ask that we would all take to heart, Lord, these exhortations, these admonitions, And I pray, Lord, for my brothers and sisters here at Living Hope Church, that, Lord, as individuals, Lord, there would be a heart to to remain awake, to to step out of any, uh, Lord, sleepiness or any lack of spiritual vitality, Lord, that there would be a fresh impartation of your spirit that would awaken them. And, Lord, I pray for them as a church, Lord, as a church awake, As a church, Lord, embracing all that you've called them to. Lord, a church aware of the realities, Lord, of of the spiritual battle around them, that they would be anointed and equipped and victorious, Lord, to fulfill your purposes in this area and throughout the world. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.